Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 621 for the 9th of December, 2018. This week, the latest version of a Cronus True Image includes image backups, disk cloning, file and directory backup, and active defenses against ransomware. It's available as a subscription with or without online backup, or as an application with a perpetual license. In short circuits, Microsoft may or may not rename its hapless Edge browser, but one big thing will change. Soon, it'll be based on Google's Chromium rendering engine. OneNote has been one of my favorite Microsoft applications for many years, but development has halted as of the 2016 desktop version, and the replacement is a much inferior Windows 10 app. Fortunately, users can still obtain the older, better version. One might wonder why Marriott waited 71 days to announce that customer information was exposed to crooks for half a billion people who stayed at the company's Starwood hotels. In spare parts, only on the website, with no action likely from the government to provide high-speed internet access in rural areas, Microsoft is expanding its program to do what the government should be doing. Thousands of video programs from the British Broadcasting Corporation's educational titles will be made available to participating libraries by ProQuest. And a free application is intended to help children who have math-averse parents, and research by the University of Chicago suggests that it's working. Backup is probably the most important task you can perform to ensure the safety and security of data that's stored on your computer. I know a person who, through every fault of his own, lost all of his wife's recipes. That was not the highlight of his day, nor hers. It's not that hard to avoid this kind of problem. I run an Acronis backup of the C drive twice a week, Wednesday to one external disk drive, I also back up files from all the other drives, and Sunday to another drive. I've described previously how I use CrashPlan to back up all of the data drives, a network-attached storage drive for continuous backup of critical working files, and USB drives for weekly backups. CrashPlan doesn't back up the operating system and applications, though, so Acronis provides a critical part of the backup process. Disk drives that are adequate for backing up an operating system aren't expensive. A one terabyte Western Digital My Passport drive currently sells for about $65, and that's sufficient if you have a one terabyte or smaller boot drive partition. And that's one of the reasons that I've always kept data files on a separate drive, even when the computer had just a single physical hard drive installed. If your operating system and data files are all on drive C, you may need a larger backup drive. A 2TB drive will cost about $90. 4TB drives are priced around $120 these days. Acronis True Image can backup files to an Acronis cloud server if you opt for the subscription plan or to an attached USB or NAS drive. 
After installing the application, the first step in creating a backup involves specifying the source. I use TrueImage for the operating system drive, and only for the operating system drive. Next, you'll specify the location for the backup files. TrueImage will display all of the attached drives that it finds, including installed drives, USB drives, mounted network drives, and any drives that are available on the network. I use a USB drive that's attached only when I want to perform the weekly backups on Wednesday and Sunday. After selecting the source and destination for the backup, you'll be asked to choose a backup scheme, and this is where no small number of people become really confused. There are five options, single version, version chain, incremental, differential, and custom. I'm tempted to say that regardless of what you have in mind, you should just choose version chain, but let's consider the choices you do have. There's the single version and version chain. These are variants of a full backup. Single version backs up everything, every time. It takes the most time to complete, and it requires the largest amount of space. I'll come back to version chain in just a minute. Next is differential backup. This option captures only the changes between the system's current state and its last full backup. Recovering from a differential backup requires both the last full backup and the differential backup to be valid. While much faster than full backups, differential backups take up more space than incremental backups and require at least two backup files for recovery. And incremental backup. This option captures only the differences between the system's current state and its last backup, regardless of whether that was a full backup, a differential backup, or another incremental backup. So incremental backups are fast and small. Recovery with an incremental backup requires all the data from the last full backup and every successive incremental backup. So if you're looking for easy, the easiest option is the single version. It creates an entire new image every time, but the version chain is probably the best option for most users. Version chain creates the first full backup version when you run TrueImage for the first time. After that, the program creates one full and five differential backup versions that are stored for six months. Then the older differential backups are automatically deleted as the new versions are created. Acronis recommends this scheme for most people, and I concur. Before proceeding with the first full backup, Acronis will suggest that you create a survival kit. There is no good reason to skip that step. Recovering from a catastrophic computer failure requires that you have a backup of the system disk and bootable rescue media. The Acronis Survival Kit combines both components so that a single device will have everything needed. The backup disk will have both the Acronis bootable media files and a backup of the system partition. The process will take just a few minutes as Acronis modifies the target drive to install a bootable recovery partition. And once the survival kit creation is complete, the backup process begins. At that point, you can close the dialog box and the backup will continue. You won't be prompted to create a survival kit again unless there have been changes that require the survival kit to be updated. The next time you run a backup, it will create a second full copy. And after that, backups will be quick differential copies until TrueImage needs to create another full backup. The bottom line for Acronis TrueImage 5CATS, it's a reliable, multi-purpose backup application. 
Acronis initially concentrated on making image backups. Over the years, the scope has changed a lot. But now, True Image includes image backups, disk cloning, online backup, file and directory backup, and active defenses against ransomware. There's even an option to archive larger old files to free up space on the computer by storing the files on an Acronis server. Online backup costs more, of course. The cost for disk cloning and local backups using a perpetual license or a one-year subscription is $50 per computer. The cost of online backups varies from $100 to $260 per year, depending on how much data you need to back up. Upgrades for the product with a perpetual license are priced at $30. If you'd like additional details, you'll find them on the Acronis website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. In short circuits, looks like Microsoft is giving up on Trident. Website developers have detested Internet Explorer from the beginning because they had to include extra code to make their pages work properly on IE. Then, three years ago, Microsoft introduced Edge, which is still based on the Trident display engine. Edge is better than IE, but it hasn't been able to develop much market share. Now Microsoft will try Chromium. Two primary engines exist, Chromium, which is used, of course, by Google Chrome, and Opera, and at least a dozen or so others. Combined, they have about a 62% market share. The other is WebKit, which is used by Safari and a few others. That has a 15% market share. Gecko, which is used by Firefox and others, has about a 5% share of the market. Edge and Internet Explorer, which use separate forks of the Trident engine, have about 7% altogether. Microsoft renamed the Edge Trident fork as Edge HTML. Even Opera's now discontinued Presto engine at 3% has nearly the market share of Edge HTML. Anyone who visits the Microsoft website with any browser other than Edge will be encouraged repeatedly to use the Edge browser. Maybe that will end when Microsoft releases its Chromium-powered browser, That's Chromium, as in Google Chrome, Opera, and a bunch of others. The project has the codename Anaheim, as in the city south of Los Angeles. When released, it may be named Edge, it may be named Anaheim, or it might be named something else entirely. So, after replacing the no-good IE with the slightly less bad Edge, apparently Microsoft has finally seen the light. Although Edge is an improvement over Internet Explorer, it still has compatibility issues, and its performance is far less than Microsoft claims it is. Oh, and there are also some stability problems, but hey, who's counting? Microsoft at long last is finally adopting a rendering engine that might not create so many headaches for developers and users. The Chromium rendering engine is consistent and widely used. That should eliminate a lot of the stability and performance issues. The big question might be when. My guess? No later than the middle of 2019. And Microsoft's marketers are going to have to perform a quick flip-flop because the company has been preaching for three years now how unstable and insecure Chrome is. Microsoft even removed the Chrome installer from the Windows Store. 
In other words, Microsoft marketing has used every trick, ethical and not, to damage Chromium. It's going to be interesting to see how they change the message to, Hey guys, Chromium is wonderful. While I'm grumbling about Microsoft, and I was just grumbling about Microsoft, in September I wrote about OneNote, which I called Microsoft's hidden gem. This week I discovered that OneNote has been discontinued as a desktop application and converted to a substandard Windows 10 app. Fortunately, the Office 2016 version of OneNote is still available, if you look hard enough, and I'll help you look. I make extensive use of OneNote's tags. In the desktop version of OneNote, any item can have one or more associated tags. All tags can be defined by the user, and the first nine tags can be applied through the keyboard, Control-1 through Control-9. Any of these tags can be defined by the user who establishes the name, a symbol to display, the color of the text, and a highlight color. All of that, all of it, is gone in the app version or what I now call the Despicable Windows 10 OneNote app. Instead, the Despicable Windows 10 OneNote app offers six tags, just six, and they can't be modified in any way. And they also can't be applied with shortcut keys. I discovered this on a Surface Pro tablet after installing Office 365. Tags created on the desktop computer are visible on the Surface, but they can't be added, removed, or changed. It's frustrating when an application with a lot of outstanding features, OneNote 2016 here, receives a so-called improvement that makes it worse. And here I'm referring again to the despicable Windows 10 OneNote app. There's a very long German word that describes this. Arden Berkowitz, who sometimes plays the character of Albert Einstein, has shortened that word to schlimby, an improvement that makes things worse. Microsoft should either install the desktop version by default, or at least offer the user the option to pick one or the other. Instead, the user who discovers that the despicable Windows 10 OneNote app has been installed will have to search for the older and better version. And here's a hint. At least for now, you'll find the 2016 version on Microsoft's website. I have a link to the exact location on the TechBiter Worldwide website. You can then uninstall the despicable Windows 10 OneNote app and install OneNote 2016. At the very least, Microsoft should make it easier for those unfortunate users who have been upgraded to the despicable Windows 10 OneNote app to obtain and install the older version. Here's a question, and it's largely rhetorical. Is nothing safe? Perhaps that would be better phrased as a statement. Nothing is safe. Marriott waited 71 days to let people know that hackers had gained access to their names, addresses, passport numbers, passport numbers, and a lot more. And wait till you hear how many. 
Not long ago, Facebook announced 50 million of its users had their personal data compromised. Now a question-and-answer site, Quora, says it lost control of information from 100 million users. Quora at least didn't wait 71 days as Marriott did. The breach was discovered on November 30th and announced on December 3rd. Quora says the crooks accessed usernames, account IDs, encrypted passwords, and other information. The company says it is investigating and will take steps to avoid having it happen again. For Quora, most of the information was already public on the Quora site, but a statement by the company's management says that users should consider changing their passwords. But then there's that Marriott disaster that wasn't even announced for nearly two and a half months, and the data that Marriott's Starwood division lost is extremely valuable. Imagine what crooks could do if they had your name, your address, your phone number, the dates when you stayed at a Starwood hotel, and your passport ID. This is the kind of information that can be used for identity theft or even for physical theft in the real world. If you thought last year's Equifax breach involving 60 million customers was a big deal, just imagine the scope of an attack that yielded extremely critical information from half a billion people. That's right, half a billion with a B, who stayed at Marriott's Starwood properties in the past four years. Marriott is only now beginning to notify potential victims by email. The breach affects people who stayed at W Hotels, St. Regis, Sheraton, Weston, Element, Aloft, The Luxury Collection, Le Meridian, and Four Points Properties. Now, in fairness to Marriott, these are Starwood properties, and Marriott acquired Starwood in 2016. No data for Marriott-branded hotels was lost. Marriott says the stolen credit card information was encrypted, but they also say that the hackers may have made off with the components needed to decrypt the critical information. There is no critical information to decrypt on spare parts, which is only on the TechBiter Worldwide website. This week, with no action likely from the government to provide high-speed Internet access in rural areas, Microsoft is expanding its program to do what the government should be doing. Thousands of video programs from the British Broadcasting Corporation's educational titles will be made available to participating libraries by ProQuest, and a free application is intended to help children who have math-averse parents, and research by the University of Chicago suggests that it is working. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like... Send me an email from there. See you next week.